It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 174 of the podcast that is Sweeping America, the Air Torres Sports Podcast. All right, so here's the deal, people. We have another one of these weird hybrid shows where I'm actually going to do two separate introductions. So let me explain myself. This happened a few times during basketball season where I would record the show, a story would break, and I would basically add a new intro to the top of the show, then get into the normal show. And that's kind of what happened last night. So uh, I guess it was what, Wednesday evening, I record a show, great show, which you'll hear in a little bit. I talked the Infali Dante news uh, to Oregon. I talked to Tim Brando from Fox Sports, my old buddy. We talked some college football. He was awesome. I answered some user-submitted questions at the end. And then right as I finish recording, the Michael Avenetti news breaks. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to do a quick segment off the top here on Michael Avenetti. And then I'm going to give you the full show that you were going to get uh, basically talking about Infali Dante, I talk with football with Tim Brando, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it's a little clunky, I apologize, but these are the realities of, of doing a tape show. Sometimes stuff breaks, the Michael Avenetti news breaks, and for people who don't know what I'm talking about, Michael Avenetti, the famed lawyer, Stormy Daniels, blah, 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 blah. Not talking Stormy Daniels today. Um, what we are talking about is the fact that Michael Avenetti uh, has accused multiple schools of, of, of um, helping to pay high school basketball players, really accusing Nike of, of helping to pay high school basketball players. The headline from the other day is that Zion Williamson's family was set to be offered $35,000 to play AAU going into his senior year for a Nike-based team. Romeo Langford's family, $20,000 for a Nike-based team. Um, and I'll be honest, I like, I don't, I don't think there's that much that's really new or earth shattering from the allegations. And so because of it, I almost didn't even do it, but I was talked into it. So we're going to do a quick Michael Avenetti, uh, segment here. Then I'm going to send you back to the top of the show where I do the whole standard intro. I tell you to rate and review and subscribe. And I say nice things about how awesome you guys are. Cause you are awesome by the way. Um, Etc. Etc. So let's get into the Michael Avenetti news. One quick scheduling note, which I do mention throughout the show, but I want to make sure that you guys know this. Uh, the next two weeks, I will be traveling. Um, I will actually be on my honeymoon. Big deal. I know. I just got married. Yeah, big deal. Whoop. So I am uh, gonna be away. So next two weeks, we're gonna do one show each. 
the next two weeks. So there will be a new show next Monday. Probably have Nick Coffee. probably talk about whatever we're going to talk about. The following Monday, you're going to get a college football week one preview, which is going to talk the biggest games in week one of college football. Just my thoughts going in. If anything crazy happens, I probably realistically won't be able to give you a new episode until after the first weekend of college football. So if uh, you know if we find out that Zion Williamson took a million dollars to go to Duke in the next two weeks and Coach K gets fired and let out, let out in handcuffs, which for the record I don't think is going to happen, uh, it's going to suck, but I'm probably not going to be able to record very much on it. So just that quick scheduling note, uh, next Monday standard show, the following Monday college football preview, and then after Labor Day we're back to two episodes a week. Uh, and that's going to be pretty much standard throughout the fall, into the winter, into the spring, into the summer, because I love doing this show and I will never stop doing it, except when I'm on vacation and I'm not bringing my recording equipment through security at the airport. All right, so let's get into this Michael Avenetti news. For, for people who uh, are not either familiar or don't have all the details, long story short, Michael Avenetti, as I mentioned, he was Stormy Daniels' lawyer and kind of her situation with the president. And, you know, we stay out of politics on this show, so we're not going to talk about Michael Avenetti and uh, Trump and, uh, you know, uh, Stormy Daniels. I know many of you are, are fans of Stormy Daniels' work. That's what, what you do in your privacy of your own home is between you and uh, your computer or your iPad or whatever. Anyway, I'm getting off subject here. Here's the point. Michael Avenetti's going to jail. And so in the process, he filed a motion in federal court on Wednesday, or a lawyer of his did, and a lot of things came up. But one of them was his continued pursuit of, I think, frankly, the truth about the situation at Nike and paying high school basketball players. And so long story short, um, if you remember, there was this whole FBI thing where Adidas just gets gutted because they paid Brian Bowen $100,000. They were helping pay uh, other players or attempting to pay other players to go to other schools to help their program, specifically Kansas, which is obviously a prominent Adidas school. Uh, you know, there was some rumblings about Indiana, obviously Louisville, et cetera, et cetera. And so the big question always was, well, if, if Adidas is involved, are we sure Nike's not involved? And everybody was basically sure that Nike was involved, but no, we never had any tangible, real proof outside of um, the schools that were affiliated with Christian Dawkins, which was obviously USC, Arizona, which are both Nike schools. I believe Oklahoma State is as well. So, so Michael Avenetti, and and I don't know exactly what his end game is, but he is here to let you know that he has information that Nike was paying players. And so a lot came out over the last couple months through Michael Avenetti. Uh, there were reports that Arizona, or that that basically uh, a handler for Bull Bull, who ended up at Oregon, and for um, who was it? Who was the second guy? DeAndre Ayton, who ended up at Arizona, and Brandon McCoy, who ended up at UNLV. They all played for the same AAU team, and I think it was what the summer of 2016. I guess it was DeAndre Ayton's last year of, of AAU basketball. Um, and so Michael Avenetti, that part isn't new. He continued to put out information on Wednesday, including the fact, this was kind of the headline, was that Nike wanted to get into, for lack of a better term, the Zion Williamson game and the Romeo Langford game. 
those were the two most prominent players in this high school class. I think most people agree probably the two most marketable players, although I think you could argue that at, at, for a time, Bull Bull was maybe believed to be more marketable because he was, of course, the son of an NBA legend, uh, seven foot three and and blah, 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 blah. You don't really care about that part. What you care about is Zion 35K, Romeo Lankford 20K. And I'm just going to tell you point blank, I don't really think this is that interesting a news. Now, I, I do have to talk about it. It's important. And something Nick Coffey and I talked about in the last episode was stories that there are stories that I'm very passionate about, right? Like, like I'm very passionate about the Rich Paul rule being totally bogus and not about Rich Paul. It has nothing to do with Rich Paul. Anyone with half a brain realizes that, as I've said throughout the last couple of weeks, LeBron needs to pump the brakes. This has nothing to do with him. This has nothing to do with his agent. And that is a story that I'm very passionate about. On the flip side, there are other stories that I'm not very passionate about. Kelly Bryant not getting a championship ring from Clemson. I actually see both sides to it. So if Kelly Bryant doesn't get a ring, I'm not that upset about it. And so this is one of the stories where I don't really think there's that much interesting here. But again, because we primarily talk college hoops, like I did have to touch on it. And what you need to know, there's a couple interesting elements here. First of all, the important thing to realize, and the reason that this isn't a bigger story than it is, is because first of all, uh, Michael Avenetti or uh, you know people that he knows at Nike were willing to pay Zion and Romeo Langford, but the deal never got consummated. The deal, there's no proof that the deal was even offered to Zion Williamson and Romeo Langford. So for people, and I was kind of joking about Coach K being taken away in handcuffs, for people that are ready to throw the book at Coach K, one, there's no there's no proof that Zion was even offered this deal, let alone that Duke would have ever known about it. And the reason that it wasn't offered, by the way, if you remember, Romeo Lankford was a well-known Adidas kid. Um, his dad actually started an Adidas AAU program. Um, and so basically, Romeo Lankford's dad was, for lack of a better term, an employee of Adidas. And that's a perfectly legal, above-board way for the shoe companies to sponsor a team, sponsor a player, sponsor a family, get the family some money, get them under the Adidas or Nike umbrella in hopes that the kids will sign with the company long-term when they go to the NBA. That's not new. That's not earth-shattering. That's not earth-breaking. If you remember, Marvin Bagley's dad basically started an AAU program just for Marvin Bagley and what became a quote-unquote consultant for Nike. And nobody knows how much they paid, but, but it's been reported, and I'm not breaking any news, and I'm not here to pick on the Bagley family, but if there was a big Oregon, a big article in from Oregon, it was a newspaper called the Oregonian, which kind of profiled that six, seven, eight years ago, uh, the Bagleys were living in kind of a low economic part of Phoenix. And I'm not judging the family. I'm not here to criticize. To be clear, these are just I'm just stating facts. And Marvin Bagley's dad. Um, at some point became kind of a consultant for Nike, and then all of a sudden the family's moving into a gated community in California. And so I only bring that up because what Romeo Langford's dad did was not illegal, it's not against NCAA rules, and Zion Williamson's dad did the same thing. They probably took money above board from Adidas, They sp Adidas sponsored those teams, and the dads became coaches, consultants, whatever you want. And so that's why this isn't a big deal to me, because we knew those families were taking money for their kids while they were in high school. That's been established. That's been established for years. So that's not really news. 
And it's not, again, to be clear, it's not breaking NCAA rules. Uh, Duke will not have to vacate wins because Zion Williamson's dad was a consultant for Nike. Indiana, let's be honest, they don't have very many wins to vacate from last year, but they're not going to have to vacate wins because Romeo Langford's dad was working above board for Adidas. And so that's why this story I don't think quite has the legs that I think a lot of people want it to, but there were some interesting things that came out of, of the news on Wednesday that I did want to discuss. The first thing that I found most interesting was that um, somebody said something to the effect of one of the Adidas or one of the Nike representatives basically said that um, 38, he believed that 38 out of 40 families were taking money to play on the EYBL. And so again, this is a little bit different than what we've grown accustomed to kind of talking about, right? We've talked about um, Brian Bowen's family accepting $100,000 to go to Louisville. We've talked about the allegations that, um, you know, Arizona was going to pay Javon Quinterly $20,000 throughout the recruitment process to end up at Arizona, that other schools, that USC was was spending money, that Auburn was spending money on Danielle Purifoy and Austin Wiley. This is different. This is just to play in the AAU high school space. And I would say this, I don't think that, that feels like a bigger deal. Oh my God, 38 out of the top 40 kids they believe are being paid by Nike to play EYBL basketball. That sounds like this earth shattering thing. I don't really think it is. And, and, and here's why is if you just do the simple math, right? First of all, to backtrack, when the FBI story broke, something that I know I wrote, I don't know if I said it on this podcast because I don't know if this podcast existed at the time, but what I said was, look, I'm not saying that every, so, so any kid, people were asking, well, is my program involved? Is my program involved? Is my program involved? And I said, look, if you've recruited a top 30 McDonald's All-American type prospect, it's very likely that at some point NCA rules were broken. Now, I'm not saying that your coach did it. I'm not saying that your coach or program knew. But look, Nike, Adidas, they're giving these families money. In some cases, it's to play. In some cases, it's simply to travel, which I'm going to get into in a minute. So this shouldn't be earth-shattering news that a lot of these families are getting paid money. I've been saying it since day one. Um, and then also the the, the FBI, um, it, later in the FBI, we learned that agents are involved as well. Agents are sometimes doing something as small as picking up a lunch or a dinner. By rule, if you spend over a certain amount of money, that's an NCA violation. And so again, if you've recruited a top 25, top 30 type prospect, or if you have an NBA kid on your roster, there's a pretty good chance that NCA rules have been broken at some point. I'm not going to say the kid's name, but... There was a kid that I know for certain was was a first-round draft pick this year that wasn't even that highly ranked, but by this past season had evolved into an NBA draft prospect, and his family basically had already decided on their agent before his college season even ended. And so do I think that there was maybe a little bit of money exchanged here and there for a kid who, again, was not a top 10 prospect, t- top 20 prospect, but evolved into an NBA prospect? Yeah, I think I think it happened. I don't think it's, it's it, is it by technical definition, NCAA rules violation? Yes. And so again, to go back to this, like, I don't think it should be that surprising, but where, the, where I think the headline kind of falls a little flat is this, 38 out of 40 families. That sounds like an insane amount. 
I don't think they were all getting $25,000 offers or $35,000 offers like Zion Williamson. As a matter of fact, I think you can use a pretty clear sliding scale where if Zion Williamson is getting $35,000, a parent of the 40th-ranked kid might get a couple thousand to travel to see their sons, to travel, uh, to have hotel rooms paid for when they go on the road during AAU season. Now look, if the parents are actively seeking, trying to get a little something-something on the side, it's not hard for them to find it. Although I do actually think things have gotten better, which we'll get into in a minute. But if a, if a family's looking for more, they're going to get it. But just because Nike, quote-unquote, paid a family doesn't mean they were cutting checks for $20,000. I mean, if Romeo Langford, the number two or three prospect in that class, was, only was quote-unquote, only going to get offered $20,000, you can imagine the 40th-ranked prospect who isn't being recruited by Duke and Kentucky and Indiana and Kansas – they're not giving him 20k. They're probably giving him a couple thousand, couple you know, couple hundred to fly, couple hundred to hotels, stuff like that. So I thought that part was overblown. Another big part which has drawn attention. There was a little excerpt in which they said that um, uh, one of the Nike executives was texting with a Kentucky basketball assistant coach that Nike was funneling payments to high school players through different EYBL coaches. Again. I don't think that's news. I think we all know that Nike, through the grassroots system, gets families money. How much money? I don't know. I also don't think it's a big deal that a Kentucky coach knew. You know why it's not a big deal? Because everybody knew. You mean to tell me that, oh, well, Kentucky coach knew. That must mean that they're cheating. Well, no, it doesn't. It means that he knew. And guess what? I'm pretty sure that the head, the, the assistant coaches at Arizona knew. I'm pretty sure the assistant coaches at UCLA knew. I'm pretty sure the assistant coaches at New Mexico knew and Louisville knew and Western Kentucky knew. And you know why they know? Because everybody knows. People in the media know. I got got, you know, I hear stuff all the time and I'm not even on the ground in recruiting circles. Some of the stuff that I hear, uh, you know, third hand is insane. So if I'm hearing crazy stuff. You can only imagine what the guys who cover recruiting 365 days a year here. Now, I'm not saying that any of the guys that I'm friends with and you guys know who I am friends with have told me anything. I'm just saying that if I hear stuff, you know that they're hearing stuff. And so the point being that if I know, then yeah, a Kentucky assistant is going to know that the EYBL is giving families money for their sons to play on the EYBL circuit. That's not news. And by the way, you can't get in trouble just for knowing. You can't get in trouble just for knowing. If you didn't break a rule, you can't get in trouble. And by the way, who's to say that, again, they even broke rules? There's a chance that the EYBL, again, it was above board. Maybe they paid a family a consulting fee like the Marvin Bagley situation I just mentioned. So I don't think that's a big deal. I don't think the fact that a Kentucky coach knew is a big deal because everybody knew. Like I said, if I know, I'm pretty certain that every assistant coach knows what they need to know. Now, the last part, by the way, there was one really funny excerpt where apparently a um, a Nike employee had a bunch of cash that she was just going to drop all over at some NC or some EYBL tournament, and apparently she was going through airport security. She was afraid, and she said, "Well, you know, I'll just tell them I sold my car." So I thought that was funny. Uh, there was somebody that literally had so much cash they had to make up a story about it. All right, so I hope that kind of clears that up. As I said, I don't think it's this big deal. I don't think it's this earth-shattering piece of news. I don't think that 
um, you know, this is going to – a new wave of investigations is coming. Like, I think this is a guy that's scorned. He's trying to bring it out. Um, and I just – I don't think it's as big of a deal as everyone's making it out to be. Again, the fact that a Kentucky assistant knew that Nike was paying guys – Everybody knew the same way that everybody knew that Adidas was paying guys the same way that let's be honest, there's reason there's plenty of reason to think Under Armour is paying guys. So I hope that makes sense. I hope that explains kind of what happened with the Michael Avenetti news, why I don't think it's going to be a big deal, why I don't think it's uh, just I just don't think it's a story that everyone's making it out to be. But I did want to talk about it. I did want to share my thoughts on it. And now let's get to the main portion of the show. As I mentioned, and Folly Dante to lead the show, talk about him. Speaking of Oregon, which kind of Michael Avenetti, that's one of the schools that he accused. And then Folly Dante is going to Oregon. By the way, just to be clear, I'm not accusing Oregon of anything shady in the recruitment of Folly Dante. I don't know. I'm not accusing them. I'm just saying they were accused by Michael Avenetti. We're going to talk about them right now in Folly Dante. Then we go to Tim Brando on college football. We wrap with some user-submitted questions. That's all. Now get ready for the second introduction to this week's episode. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 174 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Great show for you today. We're going to go in a couple different directions. I'm going to lead the show by talking in Folly Dante. For people who don't know, college basketball, we are now like 80-ish days away. In Folly Dante, one of the top-ranked prospects in the high school class of 2020. He reclassified down to 2019. He's going to Oregon. He chose Oregon over Kentucky and over the bad boys of college basketball, LSU. And I'm here to talk a little bit about it. He is probably the last big puzzle piece for the 2019-2020 season. I am not sold on his instant impact as everybody else. I got into a couple Twitter arguments with people on Tuesday when this went down. I'm right. They're wrong. What else is new? I'll talk a little bit about that. After Ninfali Dante, we're going to switch gears because a good friend of this show, he's been on many times before, Tim Brando. Fox Sports. We do kind of the overarching college football conversation going into the year. So we talk a little bit about Bama Clemson. We talk a little bit about the playoff. Is it actually working? Is it actually the worst thing that's happened to college football as it seems like the same two or three, four teams get in every single year? Once again, it looks like Bama Clemson, probably Oklahoma in the driver's seat to get in. Does anybody else have a chance? And also, what are the storylines outside of those marquee programs going into the year? Great conversation with Tim Brando. If you've ever heard him on this podcast or anywhere else, this man is opinionated. He likes to talk. He loves college football. We talked 40 minutes. I think you can count the number of words that I said the entire time on two sets of hands because this guy had a lot to say. I loved it. I enjoyed it. He was awesome. So stick around, Tim Brando, college football, and I will wrap by asking a couple or answering a couple questions. I tell you every episode, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I have a few today, which I am going to answer at the end of the show. One college football related, one college basketball related. So that is what the rundown of the show looks like. By the way, I should mention 
if you're new to the show or if you've been on vacation, you're just catching up. Uh, last week, great episode. Chris Mack, head coach of the Louisville Cardinals, he joined me. We talked a lot about Louisville, the 2019-2020 season, his team. And then on Monday, Nick Coffey, who of course lives in Louisville, joined me. And he and I talked a little bit about that interview, what he liked, what he didn't, and what the reaction has been around Kentucky because, whoo, your boy Torres created some controversy. There's some people in Louisville that are mad that Chris Mack's making time for AT and not them. Hey, deal with it. This is what AT does. I run this thing. I run the show. I run college basketball. When I want a guest, I go get them. So deal with it, Louisville. Deal with it. So exciting show today. Anyway, back to today's show. Sorry, I got a little fired up there. Back to today's show. Great show coming up. One quick programming note as well. So I'm actually, most of you probably know, uh, you know, got married earlier this summer. Yeah, hip, hip, hooray. Everybody said yes. It was a great night. Lots of drinks, drinks flowing, all that kind of stuff. I am actually going on my honeymoon next week. So this is the deal. The next two weeks... We're going to be limited to one show per week. Next week, I'll do a normal show, probably have Nick Coffey in. We'll talk about whatever. The following week, I will have a pre-recorded show on Monday, previewing week one of the college football season. Also, hoping to have a very special guest on that show, a football-related guest, Hall of Fame caliber coach. Uh, It's not Nick Saban. I don't want to give it away. Nick Saban will not be joining me, unfortunately, but it is a Hall of Fame coach will be joining me. So again... Next two weeks after this week, one episode next week, one episode the week after, and then once we hit football season, it's back to two episodes a week from now until the end of time. Uh, I should say, I've said it a bunch of times this summer, I truly appreciate your guys' support throughout this summer. It's supposed to be the quote-unquote slow season. The numbers have only continued to rise throughout the offseason, so I appreciate your support. I appreciate you guys checking in. I appreciate you guys chiming in. For those of you who have been leaving ratings and reviews on iTunes, I appreciate that. Quick shout-out to Jeremy who says, I love the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Without a doubt, it's sweeping the nation. Jeremy, I agree with you, my friend. I agree, Jeremy, so thank you to Jeremy for that. Austin weighed in and said, I love the show. Not a huge fan of pro basketball, which obviously, if you listen this summer, I did talk a little pro basketball uh, in early July when there was really nothing to talk about. But Austin says, not a huge fan of pro basketball, but I love all the talk with college sports, college football, and basketball. Haven't heard a bit of bias in the talks, and he seems honest and genuine. Austin, thank you. I appreciate it. That's one of the most ultimate compliments I can get in what I do is that I'm honest, I'm genuine, I'm fair, I'm sincere, and we're going to get into a little bit of that momentarily when I talk in Folly Dante. Now, before I do, I want to remind you, if you're not already, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and I know thousands of you are. Uh, You can listen on iTunes. You can listen on Podcast Addict if you have an Android podcast addict is the way to go. You can listen on TuneIn Radio. You can now listen on Spotify. You can stream the show on Pod Paradise. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, you can get the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Lucky you. Go you. You're the best. So thank you guys for subscribing. Make sure you subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review. Do like Jeremy did. Do like Austin did. Say nice things. Give us a quick five stars. It really does help us move up the iTunes charts. Also, Instagram. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I went off on the Infali Dante stuff on 
Tuesday when it happened, but make sure you're following the Instagram account, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. And then also Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Got a few of those questions today and uh, we're going to get into those in a minute. All right, so let's get into it. The big story uh, it is football season. We're getting close, but there was one really big piece of basketball information that came out this week in Folly Dante, as I said to lead the show. Five star player in the high school class of 2020, and he decided on Tuesday, we had been hearing for months that he would consider reclassifying. Reclassifying is the new rage. It's all the rage. You look across college basketball, uh, Anthony Edwards at Georgia is reclassified into this class. R.J. Hampton reclassified before eventually deciding to go overseas. Nico Mannion at Arizona. You go on and on down the list. In previous years, Marvin Bagley reclassified. Ashton Hagen's reclassified. Johnny Juzang, who's at Kentucky, reclassified. And then Folly Dante reclassified. He should be the last major piece. There's another kid named Addison Patterson, who I believe is from Canada originally. He's about a top 40, top 50 prospect who may reclassify and try to get to campus for the 2019 season. But in Folly Dante is the last big piece, right? And so it's been rumored for months. We've talked about it on this show. I had Jack Pilgrim from Kentucky Sports Radio on a few weeks ago. We talked about it then. I talked about it with Corey Evans months ago, and it officially happens. And so when it happens... We get the reaction from all across college. Oh, this is huge. Big for Oregon. Unbelievable. Game changer. And your boy Torres just said, eh, I don't really think so. And it's funny because I have been consistent with that stance since the rumors of him reclassifying first surfaced about three, four, five months ago. I said, I think he's a really good player. I think he's a really gifted individual talent but I think it's going to take time for him to contribute at the college level. I actually think he should have stayed in high school for another year, but I get it. He's old. You know, he's great. He's age appropriate, which means that he he is a true 18-year-old, uh, what, what it would be to be a normal college freshman. And I, I do get it from his perspective that he wants to speed up his clock, maybe get to the NBA a year earlier. And did he have a lot to prove at the college, at the high school level? Not really. So I get the move. But I also think you can get the move and say, I understand it, without also claiming him to be the next uh, Shaquille O'Neal or David Robinson or Patrick Ewing. And so the funny thing is, I've been consistent about this for months. And people said, well, you know, it's because he picked Oregon and, you know, you cover Kentucky and you love LSU. And if he picked LSU, if he picked Kentucky, you wouldn't be saying this. Dude, go back and look at my tweets, man. I said in June... When this report first got hot and heavy that he was thinking about reclassifying, I said, look, I like the kid. I think he's really talented. I don't think he's ready to contribute in college basketball next year. Said it in June. Said it on this podcast. Said it when I hosted Kentucky Sports Radio. Said it uh, when Jack Pilgrim came on. I've written it. I've said it all along. I've hinted at it. Kentucky fans, oh, we need another big man. I don't think you need another big man. I think you're going to be fine. We're going to get into Kentucky in a minute, but... I just basically said when he committed on Tuesday, I was actually out to breakfast, was uh, checking up on my Twitter feed later on, and I saw it probably about 45 minutes after the news becomes official, and I just said, like, point blank, uh, exactly what I've been saying all along. Like, I think he's a really gifted individual player. I don't think he's going to make a major contribution this year. 
And so then all of a sudden, everybody weighs in. Oh, Torres, you're only saying that because you didn't pick Kentucky or LSU. Uh, you know, I had Kyle Tucker, who covers Kentucky, does a really good job. Uh, bro, uh, uh, you know he won Peach Jam MVP, right? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know he won Peach Jam. Like, like I'm aware of what his resume is. It doesn't change my opinion. And here's why. Let's get into it. Here's the bottom line with Infali Dante. I don't think he's going to make a major impact. I have never changed that stance from the moment that the reclassification rumor started. And I think with him, you have to kind of understand a little bit of background. I talked about this with Jack Pilgrim a few weeks ago. Um, he's got a very unique background. First of all, was not born in the United States. Did not come to the United States until a few years ago. He was originally born in Mali, uh, which is in Africa, one of the biggest countries in Africa. Born in Mali. He doesn't come to the United States until about three, four, five years ago. Um, he didn't speak English when he got here. So he's still learning the English language in addition to basketball. He didn't play a ton of basketball when he was over there. So he's new to the United States, new to basketball, new to the English language, which, by the way, if we can backtrack and make it not about basketball for a second, that's an incredible testament to him as a human being and as a young man and as an individual, the fact that he was able to, in such a short amount of time, get good enough academically and have a good enough grasp of the American culture and the educational system that he was able to reclassify. It's hard enough to get a passing, uh, you know, a good enough SAT score, or ACT score, or GPA or whatever when English is your first language. We got a lot of knuckleheads that can't do it here. I struggled in high school. I wasn't that smart in high school. And look at me now. Now I'm just hosting a podcast. What am I doing with my life? But Infali Dante, really bright kid. I've interviewed him a few times. Even when I spoke with him two summers ago versus this summer, the leap in his um, not only basketball play, but in his English and in his confidence and kind of in being kind of immersed in American culture, it was like night and day. And so credit to him. But I also think the idea that a kid that, again, is new to the United States, is new to basketball, is new to the English language, is going to not only enroll in college a year early, but he's not going to get there until September. I mean, let, let's just let's just think about this logically for a second. So we have freshmen every single year who come into college basketball, and except for a handful, let's be honest, most of them kind of struggle. Let's go back to last year. How many of these guys really had an impact? The, yeah, there was Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and Kobe White and Tyler Hero was pretty good and Devon Dotson from Kansas was pretty good. But outside of those guys... There were a lot of guys that were supposed to be the next greatest thing that weren't. Anyone remember Romeo Lankford besides me? Anyone remember how he was the chosen one, how he was going to change Indiana basketball forever, and how they didn't make the NCAA tournament because Romeo Lankford shot 26% from the field? Now, I know he was hurt. I'm not saying he was terrible because we have some Indiana fans that listen to this show. They get mad when I talk about Romeo Lankford, but he wasn't the player that he was touted to be. Same with Nasir Little at, at North Carolina. Same with Keldon Johnson at Kentucky. Same with Quentin Grimes at Kansas. I would say even Cam Reddish at Duke didn't quite live up to expectations. And so you talk about the number of freshmen that can legitimately make the jump to college basketball and have an immediate impact. It isn't very many. And now you're asking a kid who's new to basketball, new to America, new to the English language to not only come into college basketball, but it's not like he's been on campus since Memorial Day and has had three, four months to practice at this level. He was playing AAU ball till a few weeks ago. 
And I know everyone's going to say, well, he was MVP of Peach Jam. Yeah, I know. But it is a big adjustment. And it's especially a big adjustment for big guys. This is a kid that's not used to playing against kids his own size, strength, athleticism, height, weight, etc. Um, I also, I was thinking about this right before I started doing the show. Remember last summer when Kentucky went to the Bahamas? Remember how Ashton Hagens had just gotten to campus like a month before and how he was behind everybody else? It takes time. It takes time. And so I think it's going to take time for this kid. I think, by the way, I think he'll be better defensively than offensively. But I don't think that he's going to like jump in and take over college basketball. And by the way, I would also add this. Again, as I said, it's harder when you're a big man. Also, the last time that I saw him, well, not technically. I saw him at Pangos All-American Camp in June, but I also saw him in April at the Nike Hoop Summit. He was playing for the international team, and he was going up against the best American high school players. He was going up against James Wiseman, going up against um, um, Isaiah Stewart, who's now at Washington, Vernon Carey, who's now at Duke. And I'll be honest, and Folly Dante looked like just another guy against those guys. Now, I know he was a little banged up there and all that stuff, but the point is, those are the kind of guys that he's going to be going up against every single day. He's 18 years old. USC has two McDonald's All-American caliber players in their front court, plus a fourth-year senior who's been all Pac-12. You think they're going to be scared of an 18-year-old kid? Oh, well, he won Peach Jam MVP. I don't care that he won Peach Jam MVP. You think USC cares that he won Peach Jam MVP? You think that Arizona cares that he won Peach Jam MVP? You think that UCLA, they're going to have two juniors in their starting front court, Jalen Hill and Cody Riley, who are both top 40 prospects? You think they care that he won Peach Jam MVP? Of course not. They're trying to tear his head off. They don't care about that. And so to be clear, I'm not rooting against a kid. Again, I think he'll contribute specifically on the defensive end, but I just don't see the instant impact guy that everybody else is. Maybe I'll be wrong, but if my prediction is, I think Oregon's going to be pretty good. I think they're a tournament team, but I think they got a transfer named Shakir Justin from UNLV. You can put this on paper, mark this down, August 14th, the day after Infali Dante committed, I think Shakir Justin averages more points and more rebounds per game at Oregon next year than Infali Dante does. That's not a knock on Infali Dante. It's not. I'm not going after I'm not. I'm not criticizing an 18-year-old kid. What I'm saying is pump the brakes. And I've been saying it since June, and I've been saying it all along. I've been saying it on this podcast. I said it when I hosted Kentucky Sports Radio. I said it when Jack Pilgrim was on the show. I said it when Corey Evans is on the show because I truly believe it. And so I wish him luck. I think he'll do well. I think he probably, in a perfect world, I don't even know that he's a one-and-done guy. I think he might be go one-and-done because he clearly wants to uh, get to the NBA, and I don't blame him. And let's never forget there's adults around these kids that help that – sometimes push them towards decisions whether they're ready or not but I just don't buy it now really quick with Oregon like I said I think they're a top 25-ish team I've seen people move them into the top 15 and uh you know they uh oh you know uh well you know they're they're the favorites in the Pac-12 I don't know if I buy that uh Arizona's gonna be really good even without Brandon Williams who they just lost I think UCLA is going to be better than people realize. UCLA has got to figure out their point guard situation, but I think they're going to be better than people realize. Um, I think USC is going to be better than people realize. I told you last episode, Onyeka Okongwu uh, was the two-time California High School Player of the Year, 
but because he got hurt going into his senior year and didn't play AAU, he kind of fall, fell off the map. I mean, this is a guy that could literally play anywhere in the country. So I think Washington's going to be good with Jaden McDaniels and Isaiah Stewart. Colorado is going to be good. They're a bunch of juniors and seniors. And so I think Oregon's like the third to fifth best team. I think they're a tournament team. But I don't, like, I don't think they're like world beaters. They got some interesting pieces. Like I said, Shakir Justin's going to be really good. Peyton Pritchard, who's been around forever, uh, is going to be pretty good for them. I don't buy it. I wish in folly Dante Luck. Really quick, from the flip side of this, from the Kentucky perspective, I would add this. I think this can be weirdly addition by subtraction for Kentucky. And I know every Kentucky fan, no way, no, we needed them. We're one big man short. I don't buy it. This is 2019-2020 in college basketball. Not many teams, no teams. Have, this isn't 1984. Patrick Ewan ain't walking through that door for Georgetown. Ralph Sampson ain't walking through that door for Virginia. Most teams in college basketball just aren't that big, where you need multiple big guys uh, to, to kind of handle the paint and handle the low post. And what I do think with Infali Dante is – He's kind of a true kind of low post center. He's a traditional kind of old school back to the basket guy. And don't get me wrong, I think his game is going to improve as time goes on. But what I would also add is that if you have him, it kind of completely changes everything that you're trying to do about with your team. Because if you have him, now you got to play slow. You got to play in the half court. And I actually think that I'm not saying that Kentucky wouldn't have taken them if they had the chance. They would have taken them. Of course they would have. Of course they would have taken them if they could have. But I think it could have been it could be weird addition by subtraction because you know what happens now? Now they can stay true to their ethos that John Calipari has been preaching. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time breaking down Kentucky's depth chart. We still got 80 days, so about seven and a half, eight weeks till the start of college basketball season. We got plenty of time. But the thing that I love about Kentucky's kind of makeup coming into this year, they got a lot of versatile parts, right? They can go, if they want to play a big lineup, they can play EJ Montgomery at the four, Nick Richards at the five, Khalil Whitney or Keon Brooks at the three, and then they can play a couple guards. They want to go small. They can go three back, three guards in the backcourt. Maybe Ashton Hagens, maybe Emmanuel Quickly, maybe uh, Tyrese Maxey to go along with Khalil Whitney at the four, EJ Montgomery at the five. They want to go really small. I think they can even probably put Johnny Juzang at the four uh, and have um, either EJ Montgomery or Nate Sestina or somebody at the five. And so I only bring that up because I actually think it's weird addition by subtraction uh, for Kentucky. I'm not saying they wouldn't have taken him. I'm not saying I'm trying to tear down the kid. But I'll tell you this. I've been really consistent. And I'm not saying I get all these high school kids right. I get a lot of them, though. I really do. Keep in mind, and I said this on Instagram yesterday. By the way, if you're not following on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast, you're missing because I went off on a tangent here. And the one thing I'll say, I've gotten a lot of these preseason predictions right. First of all, I was the guy that said Auburn was going to the Final Four last year in October. Nailed that one. Um... I was the guy last year that when everybody was gassing up Reed Travis, I said, look, I watch a lot of West Coast basketball. Reed Travis is good, but if I had to take a sophomore P.J. Washington or a senior Reed Travis, I would take sophomore P.J. Washington. Now, Kentucky ended up getting both, but this was when P.J. Washington was testing the draft waters, and I had people, oh, you're crazy, oh, you're on drugs. My buddy Rob Douster literally said, Torres, I know you live in California, but stay off the wacky tobacco, man. Well... Who was right about P.J. Washington? By the way, 
Remember the year that Hamadou Diallo sat out and everyone said, oh, he's the best player in practice behind the scenes. And I said, eh, I don't really buy it. Hamadou Diallo, good college basketball player, not a great college basketball player. I have been right on a lot more of these than I've been wrong on. And I'm telling you, I just don't buy that this kid in Folly Dante is going to be this huge X factor. Oregon, I'll have him in my preseason top 20. I don't think he is the difference between them being a fringe top 25 team and then them being a top 10 team with national championship aspirations. All right, so that is all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, we are going to turn things over right now to Tim Brando. That's all the college hoops for today. Again, reminder, keep an eye out. Next couple weeks, it's going to be a little bit of slim pickings here. Uh, as I go on my honeymoon, I will be in Hawaii going to the homeland of Tuatonga Viola, maybe go tour the uh, uh, where they play the Maui Invitational because that's what kind of sports nerds like me do. But uh, this is it for now. Tim Brando next, and then stay tuned because after that, I'm going to come back and answer a few reader-submitted questions. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and here is Tim Brando, Fox Sports. All right, and joining me on the phone now, he is one of the lead voices of college football for Fox and FS1, friend of this show, been on a bunch of times. Tim Brando is on the phone. Tim, how you doing? Fantastic, Aaron. It's not that thing. Toes ready to be under. We're going to get this baby started pretty quickly. I, I'm glad I don't have to work week zero. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll at least get to, to enjoy uh, Miami and Florida like everybody else on the 24th and um, and wait until the following weekend before we get cranking. But uh, it's, um, it's that time of year and time to get it going. I've never been more excited. I was going to ask, what, um, so obviously, you know, we all kind of, uh, you know, I think first kind of get that itch uh, right after Memorial Day when all the preview magazines come out. And then, uh, of course, as time goes on, we have the media days and we're kind of in that lull right now. We're between media days. Camps are open, but doesn't really feel like there's really kind of quote unquote much news. I was just curious from your perspective. I mean, fans are always kind of following their team and, and, you know, guys like myself try to get myself caught up on everything that happened in the offseason going into next season. How do you kind of prepare? How are you spending these last few weeks before the start of the season? Because obviously, uh, you know, your job's a little bit different. You know, you're, uh, you know, you're going from stadium to stadium week to week, but it does feel like, uh, you know, it's a lot of knowledge to kind of reacquire, reattain all that stuff. How do you go about these last couple weeks getting ready for not only your assignments, but also the entire season ahead? Aaron, I tell everybody, uh, and I tell a lot of young broadcasters that I mentor, that uh, I, I really don't, there's no uh, plan of action. There's sure. no, hey, I need to do this or that that I'm thinking about because um, college football, college basketball, and, and sports in general, really, uh, have been a way of life for me. Sure. And the job is, is really not a job. It's, it's a way of life. And I uh, tell people that um, if you can live your life and be paid for it as mm -hmm. opposed to live for a job uh, in your life, then, then you know, that's a, that's a good thing. You'd rather have the former than the, uh, than the latter. And, you know, I, I, I literally, every day of my life, uh, I'm thinking about what's going on in the sports that I, I'm passionate about. College football and college basketball have always been those two, 
I was probably more of a baseball guy when I was a kid growing up mm-hmm. because I played the sport and I and I and I was good at it. It was clearly the best sport that I was a part of, and I and I also wanted to be a broadcaster. Don't get me wrong; I had no illusions of grandeur, but I could I could play uh, baseball. I could pitch, and I could I could dig it out at first base, and had some occasional power. Um, and I couldn't beat out any leg hits. Okay, that, didn't, that never <laughs> happened. But <laughs> but I but I loved baseball. I think when you grew up on that bit, you thought if you're going to be a broadcaster. You had to be able to do baseball because those were the only full-time jobs. You know, it would work around the calendar. If you only did football and you only did or, or basketball or even both, that only took up about you know five months, five or six months. That's not a worthwhile endeavor. So baseball, I think, was always in my uh, age group uh, the preeminent sport that you had to master to have full-time work as a sports broadcaster. So. Um, so I was reading Sporting News as a kid, you know, keeping up with batting averages and who's going where and, you know, all that, even though I was a ball player. Not a lot of kids did that, you know, especially the jocks. We left that for the student managers, you know. But I was as into it as any student manager would be. And um, and also just from a broadcasting standpoint, keeping up with our business, what's, what's going on in our business. Uh, I feel like if you lose your zest for any of that, then you're going to fall behind. Sure. Uh, you know, the day you stop learning is the day you stop living and it's the day you stop being relevant. So, um, you know, during the down, the so-called downtime where, where I am playing golf, I'm spending more time with my grandkids and my wife, uh, even they'll, even they'll tell you, uh, my wife especially would tell you, I'm, there's a part of me that's always somewhere else. Sure. <laughs> and that somewhere else is, is on my passion, my vocation, my job. And what I do, uh, keeping up with the teams and what's going on in sports, um, is just part of it. So I feel like when, you know, the game, when it's game week or a couple of weeks away, um, from game week, then I, I'd maybe start some of the meticulous work getting ready with my boards for the first game, which this, for you, this year is Michigan State Tulsa on Friday night on FS1. I know what my schedule is. Uh, I got that schedule about probably a month and a half ago, and I've got Michigan State twice, so that's that's a good thing. I have Michigan State week one. I've got them week three against Arizona State on Fox uh, at um, in the afternoon, and then we've got Penn State twice. I've got week two in primetime on Fox against a really good Buffalo team, and then I've got them on the road on Friday the 27th at Maryland which I think is a heck of a game, fun game, especially with Loxley in his first year, kind of trying to get that thing turned around and uh, having them at home, you know, at, uh, at College Park. So uh, and in between, I'm not sure where I'll be week uh, three, mm-hmm. uh, excuse me, week um, four. I know where I am weeks one, two, and three. Week three, I'm back at Sparty. But week four, uh, the 21st, I really don't know where I'll be that particular week, but I have a hunch. Um <laughs> So I'm, I'm I'm focusing a little more on those teams. I watch religiously. I DVR the Big Ten Network, the SEC Network. But I do that every day. If I don't do it just the week of my game or two weeks out of my game, a lot of the programming, especially that bus tour that um, Dave Rebson and those guys do, Jerry Donato and and uh, Alec Griffith. I mean, that's must see TV for me. Sure. They were just at Penn State uh, uh, Friday. They were at Michigan State today. 
the day the day of this taping uh, on Monday. So, you know, look, I, I, that's just me. It's who I am. So I don't feel like I have to step it up or start investing more time just because we're getting close to the season. Yeah. I'm fired up, geeked up, good to go, and I'll start honing in uh, on what, what the specifics are with coordinators and maybe changes and all that uh, as we get you know, in the, the week of the game. But other than that, I've got a pretty good handle on things. And I tell young broadcasters all the time, if you live it, then the challenge of preparation is not nearly as, as uh, arduous a task. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Uh, if you live your, your, your business, if you live this craft, this vocation, then uh, a lot of the things that people are really uh, working hard at come very easily to you. And so that's always been my mantra. Makes perfect sense. Uh, and since you talk about it, uh, what do you see as kind of the storylines coming into this season? You obviously have been uh, reading, like I think we all do, or certainly myself, I can only speak for myself, but you know, I think I have a pretty good idea of kind of the topics you're going to go with. But as we talk 2019 into 2020 college football season, what are the things that stand out to you as talking points or interesting or concerns or anything in that nature? Well, are we going to have, yet again, a, a, a very predictable finish? That's number one. Yep. And I think the answer to that is yes. Uh, it would be nice to see Clemson and Alabama pushed a little bit more in their respective conferences. And they have been. I think Alabama maybe. Um, I think Georgia has really been the only team that's been competitive with them the last few years. It hasn't been uh, like it was between 2006 and 13 when I was over at uh, the Tiffany Network covering the SEC on CBS. During those years, I mean, it was just you know, four champions that were different in seven-year span. Well, that was a dominant league, and. You could make a case that it was light years ahead of everybody else. I don't think that's true now. I think, especially from 15 forward to now, Alabama's been dominant. Uh, other than Georgia being able to compete with them, not be able to finish the deal, which I think has given them a little bit of a mental block, uh, they've been beating people by an average of 30-plus points. I think that changes this year. I, I think LSU is legitimately going to compete with them. I think A&M. Uh, is a team that can legitimately compete with Alabama. Uh, we'll see about, you know, other squads, even though Florida doesn't play them. I think there's a chance that, you know, Florida's an improved team and coming off that win against Michigan. So even even if they played Alabama rather than Georgia, I think is a, a reach. But let's say they did. I think Florida might be a little more competitive. Uh, Clemson's a different animal. I just don't see anybody over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the ACC that can compete. Syracuse is is it, and the game is there in Syracuse. So, uh, And I think Clemson could absorb a loss there, just like I think Alabama could absorb a loss, as they did to Auburn, and still make the playoff a couple of years back. So uh, that's the number one uh, storyline to me, is are we going to have the same boring, predictable finish where the college football playoff committee, you know, has to put these teams in, and you know we're without a Big Ten team or we're without a Pac-12 team, or you know the Big 12 has two great teams and they're left out because, oh my God, Georgia was undefeated and they lost to Alabama and they're going to put Georgia in with Alabama. Sure. I think the potential for that is there. Um, so, so those are the things that jump out. That's that's first and foremost. Second thing to me 
is uh, the big time, uh, big ticket transfer portal quarterbacks. Sure. Uh, because you've got Fields, uh, who's made his move over to Ohio State. You've got Eason, uh, who's made his move over to Washington. We're, we're talking now about Jalen Hurts, you know, at Oklahoma. We got we got all kinds of, and there's others out there. I mean, a bunch that I haven't even haven't even mentioned yet. Sure. Uh, that could have dramatic impacts. By the way, Drew Burrow is a transfer too, and I think he might be the breakout quarterback in the in the South this year. I think with Joe Brady coming over from New Orleans, especially in the red zone packages that they're working on, Burrow is a qualified leader, and he's a highly intelligent quarterback. I thought last year that really showed up in key situations where he audibleized, but you know his numbers were not tremendous. Statistics were just not. I think up to the level of what they could be, and I think you'll have the stats to go along with the with the, the intelligence, uh, and and that could be fun to watch. I think that game with uh, Ellinger and Burrow, week two between Texas and LSU, is going to be must see TV. That, that's just a magnificent game uh, in the second week. So transfer big name transfer quarterbacks and the impact that they have on their respective teams is something that. Um, you know, I think it jumps out. Uh, and then thirdly, can UCF or Memphis, either one of those two teams, run their respective tables to put, once again, the American Athletic Conference in a position to say, what about us Sure. at the end of the year? I think there's a chance they could. Memphis gets Ole Miss right out of the gates. I think they'll beat, I think they'll beat them significantly uh, at the Liberty Bowl. And Ole Miss is not horrible. They're going to be better. I love the hires. You know, the McIntyre hire and the Rich Rod hire. I think will really help Matt Luke with his team. But they're catching Memphis at the wrong time out of the gates. Uh, I think Memphis could legitimately win that division and run the table. I think UCF could do the same. Uh, Bush does, speaking of transfer quarterbacks, how that thing works out will be interesting. Uh, so, you know, the American, in my mind, is better than the ACC. Huh, I would put it as the number five overall conference in America. If you look at that league, top to bottom, the ACC, the ACC just doesn't measure up. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't. I think the American is really good. I know Holgerson feels good about the talent he's inheriting, even though there's a lot of people moving in and moving out. I think he's going to do really well with Houston. Uh, you know, I, you know, short of the. Um, disaster that was Connecticut. I, I was think the Americans that's... got a great story to tell uh, about their league and that new TV deal that Mike Oresco got them is going to make them even more solvent long-term. I don't know what Connecticut was thinking about throwing their, their well, team under the bus the way they did with no out for their football team. Um, be ha- be happy to go to stores to cover some Big East basketball, but yeah. I, I really think it's terrible what they did to their football program. But you know, those are the things that I think, those would be the three areas for me that I'm looking at uh, that are, are going to be most interesting as the season gets going. Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't know if you even know this about me. I'm guessing you probably don't. I'm a UConn alum. So I, uh, you know, so when you brought up the American and the revival of the American, I don't know that UConn with the worst defense historically in the history of FBS football last year is going to contribute much to uh, to the rise of the American. Real quick on the band. Yeah, I just didn't. I just didn't understand. You know, I understand that they're losing money, that they're hemorrhaging money within their athletic department. A lot of that was brought on, in my opinion, 
because of a situation they had with their coach and Kevin Ali and, sure. and firing the cause and a lawsuit. I think all of that's figured into it. Uh, and to me, that was just too big a price to pay if you were going to commit to having a Division One football program. So um, I hear what you're saying, uh, but but I just didn't quite get it. You know, to me, uh, those basketball teams in that league are not that significant a step down from who you play sure. in the newly formed Big East. I mean, they're really not. You're so right. if they want to go back in time and just say, well, hey, we've got Georgetown coming back in. We've got uh, uh, Villanova coming. If that, if that means a lot to the people there, then go get yourself. Yeah, I think, you know, real quick on UConn, then I actually want to get back to Bama Clemson for a second. But, you know, with the UConn stuff, all I can say is I think that, one, it, it does matter, though I do question when I think everyone, when the, the, the cards are reshuffled and UConn is back in the Big East. Kind of what you said, the, the schools that UConn consider to be a rival, Syracuse, Pitt, Louisville, those schools aren't there anymore. And so I'll be fascinated right. with that. I was going to say, I know that um, – I know from the athletic department's perspective, I think just the travel, the wear and tear, there was basically right. not, not a single school that wasn't a long charter flight, except I guess temp, Temple, excuse me, technically, but to have to make multiple right. trips for all their sports to Houston and Dallas to play SMU and Florida to play Central Florida and South Florida, uh, I think it was kind of a drain on the athletic department. I wanted to ask you. I, I, go ahead. I, I understand. I, like I said, I understand that, but I just think the mismanagement from their administration across the board is partly to blame too. You know what? I mean, from the president to the athletic director to beyond, uh, I, I think they're, I think they should be more culpable as well. And I'll leave it there. Very good. Well, I, I, I want to get back to Clemson Bama for a second. Cause I, I think you're a great person to kind of ask this cause I'm fascinated because I don't have an answer to this. And, and when I kind of talk about all this stuff and, and, whatever, analyze it, whatever whatever term you want to use. I like to have answers. And the one thing I don't have an answer to is this, Tim, and maybe you do because you've been to so many of these campuses, you know so many of these coaches, et cetera, is, you know, we live in a world now where because of TV money and revenue and things of that nature, schools in theory should be on more of a level playing field than ever before. I mean, Purdue football is making more money than they could have ever imagined. Uh, you know, it, 10, 15 years ago, the same with Washington State and Baylor and TCU and whatever. So that what, what I want to ask with Alabama and Clemson is, I know it starts with the two guys up top, but what are they doing that is so different than in the SEC, Ed Orgeron and Jimbo Fisher and Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart and in the ACC, as you said, Syracuse and... I guess the ACC is a little bit different because Clemson has some geographical advantages. But how do you think those two schools specifically have been able to kind of lap the field in the rest of the sport? Because I look at this sport and with the money that the Big Ten is making, the money that the Big 12 is making, the money that the rest of the SEC is making outside of Bama, I feel like we should be at a place where, um, you know, kind of the, the sport is flattening, where teams should be kind of on a more competitive playing field. As you said, that was the case seven, eight, nine, ten years ago in the SEC, but not now. Do you have any thought as to why it is? Because it's just one thing I can't wrap my head around. The sport has actually got a lot more parity in it than people realize. Sure, okay. And, and, and I think the media is, is as responsible for 
that not being communicated to the fan base as as any. Uh, we live in a world of images and impressions, as my friend Spencer Tillman always likes to say. Sure. And college football right now has an image and impression that's absolutely uh, running contrary to reality. Uh, you know, this notion that Alabama is dominant, okay, yeah, they have dominated the sport in terms of championships, no question. You win five and ten, that's pretty dominant, no, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that says a lot. Uh, they've, they, they've clearly been the team of the decade. But it's not because they haven't been challenged. There have been challenges, no doubt about it. But those challenges and those teams, Aaron, they really don't get covered a great deal. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think it's easy to just say, and, and from a distance, this is what happens. I, I know I feel this way about the NBA. I've got real problems with uh, the direction that that league has gone in. Uh and so that's that's another that's another topic for another day. But uh, what, from a distance, I can easily say because I don't like it anymore. Uh, I can say, "Oh, you know, call me in June because I know what four teams are going to be there." Sure, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, I think people are saying that now about college football, and yeah. I hate that. Yeah, I hate that. I hate the fact. That someone that despises integration athletics and college football in particular can be, you know, some pinhead can make that kind of statement, and because of the issues that the sport has, he can be right. Yeah, and and, and and it's hard to it's hard to to debate that point when we see three of the the four teams in there just about every year. You know, if Oklahoma gets back in it again this year with Clemson and Alabama. It's like, here we go again, and then name your fourth team, you know? Mm -hmm. That's bad for the game. That's bad for the game. Uh, And and so I think there's part of it. I do want to get credit to to, uh, the two coaches because Nick is – he outworks people. Uh, To answer your question specifically, how does Alabama and Clemson get the distance that they seemingly have? It's because they're either number one or number two, and if they're not one, the other team is number two and recruiting every single stinking year. All right, mm-hmm. and then you have on top of that two coaches that have a system in place. Nick, Nick, who is hands on, and if he happens to piss off his staff and he has to completely rotate <laughs> a new one in every two years, he can live with that. Sure, because that's just who Nick is. It's a completely different story at Clemson because everybody loves Dabo and everybody loves working for Dabo. Sure. So much to the point that Kansas State's job can open and one of its alums, Brent Venables, doesn't even want to interview. Mm-hmm. He's making two-plus million as a defensive coordinator. He's, he's got a kid that's a freshman on the football. He's not leaving. He's not going anywhere. So you take that and then uh, Elliott and Scott running the offense. There's a level of stability. By the way, I think that's one of the reasons why Clemson right now is on top. I think there is an edge in terms of lifestyle, level of uh, joy and happiness in the Clemson camp that, frankly, is never there uh, to the extent that it would be, uh, you know, Alabama just doesn't have that kind of feel. You know, those kids are there basically to prepare themselves for the NFL, and if they do, they stay, and if they don't, they probably are gone. In a couple of years, and but but it's worked for Nick. You know, he recycles them in and out. 
and he recycles his coaching staff in and out. And it works for them. So we have two systems that are uniquely different, but have the, you know, similar results. And, and they do have a level of separation. But then Clemson hasn't been, I mean, look, they could have lost to A&M on the road. Sure. You know, they did lose at Syracuse two years ago and probably should have lost to them last year. They got bailed out late, uh, and they discovered, that, oh, by the way, that the best quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, is, is, is good to go, and, <laughs> yeah. and we, 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 we saw a Hollywood script play out with, with him, similar to the one that we saw with Tua Tagovailoa when, when he came in for Jalen Hurts in the Georgia National Championship game. So, but, but what I'm saying to you is, Neither Clemson or Alabama or as unbelievably dominant over everybody else in college football as people like to think. If, if you go around the country and you see the personnel at places like Oregon where Christopher Moore's getting that thing going, you see a young player like Brock Purdy guy with State and go, my God, Charlie Brewer, Baylor, you go to the, you know, a lot of different places. Penn State, if they can find a quarterback, they've got the personnel. Their defense is outstanding. I, I'd say their defensive front seven is probably on par with Auburn, who we all know is fantastic. What if Auburn, what, by the way, what if Auburn happens to find a quarterback? Might sure. they be like the Auburn team of 2013? If they do, then they could come out of nowhere as a 50 to 1 shot. I mean, there are storylines out but, but the media, Aaron, it just the mainstream media doesn't want to cover it. Uh, and that's another troubling aspect. When we went from uh, the BCS to the college football playoff. Do you remember the incredible stir that we had around the country? Oh, we're going to four teams. Yep. More access. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a we've got a committee that's going to be incredible, uh, unimpeachable. Uh, people, men and women of integrity from diverse backgrounds. No, they're not of diverse <laughs> backgrounds. I haven't seen anyone that's come up close to, to being this. <laughs> Who's replaced Condoleezza Rice that's similar to Condoleezza Rice? It's true. Nobody. I mean, we're seeing a bunch of old coaches, retired coaches, that go into a room and influence the administrators, either ADs or campus commissioners, that are on this committee, and we're seeing the same brand names recycled year after year after year. They, they they have not given us what we thought we would get, more access. As a matter of fact, less access. UCF would have gotten a sniff in the old PCS, just like Boise State did. Sure. They had no shot in this system. None. It's a beauty packet, totally. And you know what? They don't play in the right league, so they're not in. That's fundamentally wrong. Um, we need to go back and, and look again at, at um, you know, for the. I'm not trying to say that the committee... Uh, or throw committee members under the bus. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying the system's not right. And they promised me uh, a diverse committee. I don't see a diverse uh, I want to see more reasons why, tangible reasons why certain teams don't get a sniff, and we don't see any of that. There is not greater access to this. And unless they're going to get stability into uh, and uniformity into the schedules of these Power Five conferences that are part of this cartel, and I don't think they will, yep. then they've got to go to eight. And if they don't go to eight, we're going to be stuck with this. And college football's position is going to continue to slip. You know, uh, five, six years ago, you could easily say it was the second most popular sport in America. I don't think it is now. Mm-hmm. You know, if you watch. 
Fox's daytime programming, ESPN's daytime programming in the offseason. If you hear about college football, it's either a scandal or it's something with one of the brand-name schools that's down in the X block. You know, it's like the last segment. Sure. Nobody's really – there's no buzz with college football right now. Yep. And the ratings have flatlined. The playoff ratings have not been what the ESPN sponsored uh, told their sponsors they get. And so, you know, if you, if you don't have teams from the most densely populated area in America, which is the Big Ten, and you don't have teams west of the Mississippi, and you know you can rule them out the moment Oregon loses to Auburn Week 1, that's not good for the sport. It's not. So I think even though the sport is flourishing financially more than it ever has, it's never been in more peril than it currently is. And the reason for that, Aaron, is those that are in governance of intercollegiate athletics and specifically in college football, they are too worried about how much money they're making and not worried enough about how many people are watching and how many more new people are compelled to come to college football. And if they don't watch out, they're going to slip even further. And that's uh, that's uh, that's something I never thought I'd be saying to you. Yeah, and, and it's something that I've kind of made the argument of, of over the last probably month or so is I don't ever remember – they're feeling like there was less buzz going into a season than this year. And I do think it's directly attributable to Alabama and Clemson. I do think it's attributable. Right. Yeah, right. I think it's attributable to the fact that everyone feels like they know who those two teams are going into the season. Sure. Every year. And and yeah. that, that was, by the way, why I asked you. I said, what are those two teams doing differently that they're in the conversation every year? I'd wrap with this. Um I think it's a conversation everybody's been wondering since the day last season ended. But is there a team? Do you see a team that either over the long haul of the next two, three, four years or in the short term of this year that can actually catch Bama and Clemson? Because like you oh, said. Oh, yeah. 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 Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I think yeah, I, I think there are several. I hope uh, so. There are probably eight to ten teams this year, in my opinion. You think so? That could get there. Now, I'm, I'm not picking any of them to get there. <laughs> <laughs> there and, I'll tell, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I actually want, because this year at the end of the season, this is the sixth season of the college football playoff, and by contract, the rights holder has the opportunity to go back, take a look, and then suggest changes to the format structure. Uh, they did. They took a quick look after three years. Remember last year, started getting a little bit of buzz. Barry Alvarez, a member of the committee, said, I don't know about when I look at expansion now. Some things, you know, then all of a sudden some conversation out of the Big Ten. Jim Delaney didn't go out front on it, but he hinted at it yep. uh, as he was stepping aside in the Big Ten uh, for, for his replacement in that conference. If we get stuck with Clemson, Alabama, Chapter 5, and let's say Georgia is that fourth uh, in that fourth position uh, if they go undefeated and only lose to Alabama. And then let's say Texas and, and Oklahoma split. Okay, they don't have enough Zeus to to get past Georgia. Uh, what do we have here? Uh, possibly Michigan getting in if if they happen to run the table or only have one loss. Or Ohio State, whoever that Big Ten team has to speak. If, if a Big Ten is left out and the Big 12 is left out this year, and I kind of figure the Pac-12 definitely will be. The only way the Pac-12 gets in is if 
Washington or Oregon goes undefeated. I don't think either one will. Uh, so if we're looking at some cobble of teams that includes Clemson, uh, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Alabama, okay? Yep. And if, we're, if I'm wrong on one of those, let's throw in another team, but it's still the other three, okay? Yeah. If we're looking at that again this year, there's no way in hell, in my opinion, that the people that are in governance of this thing are not going to stand up and say, all right, that's enough. We, we went to nine teams in the Big Ten after 2014. We haven't had a team in the playoffs since. That is enough. Pac-12 is going to be screaming bloody murder, and um, and the Big 12 will too. Hey, we played a nine-game round robin, and the two conferences that the two top teams are coming out of are playing, in one case, cupcake non-conference games Alabama, they, they should be absolutely embarrassed for what they're trotting out there again this year. And Clemson's playing in the weakest conference of the of the five in the cartel, and they're playing another seven and five pit type team to get to the into the playoff. Are you kidding me? Yep. Enough with that. So I, I really hope that we have another bad postseason uh, because then that will help necessitate change. As was the case in 2011, we wouldn't have gotten to four teams. Aaron, if we hadn't, you know, short-term memory, you know, history, people don't keep up, or they forget sometimes. If we hadn't had that god-awful rematch between LSU and Alabama in 2011, we would have never gotten the four teams. Hmm. We would still be stuck with the BCS. So uh, I think we just need another bad postseason. Uh, but, yeah, I do think a lot of teams out there that people are, are not thinking about are making big jumps this year. I mentioned Iowa State, uh, Brock Purdy. I think they could beat either Texas or OU, one of those two teams. Uh, I love what Matt Rule has done at Baylor. I think they could upset somebody. TCU, after a mediocre year, is always good in the Big 12. Big 12 is third-best league in the in the country. I think they've got quality football this year. Sure. They've really stepped it up with coaches in that league in the last uh, handful of years. I also think that uh, Nebraska is going to come out of nowhere this year and win the West in the Big Ten uh, with a transformational coach and Adrian Martinez as quarterback. Look for them to upset Ohio State week five, September the 28th on Fox. That is a circle that game. I think Big Red is back. I love the way they finished the year last year. And by the way, if I'm wrong about Nebraska, look out for Minnesota. Look out for Northwestern. We always forget Northwestern. Yep. Uh, a lot of good t- Iowa. I mean, there are a lot of really good teams in the Big Ten this year. Minnesota, I think, uh, P.J. Flex got a chance for the veteran club to, to make a strong move. And I do think out west, Oregon is the top of the class, but I think Washington's still a story. And I think UCLA with Chip in his second year, if he can keep the quarterback's dad off his, off his mind, <laughs> uh, they may make a little bit of a jump. So there are a lot of teams out there. I, I mentioned earlier how much I like. A&M and LSU in the SEC, I think there's a lot of teams out there that can make a tremendous impact. But, you know, unless you're a big-time hardcore fan of college football and you're watching, you know, either the SEC network or the Big Ten network, you don't know about any of this stuff. Because no one's talking about it during the day on the mainstream cable channels. No one at Fox and no one at ESPN on a regular basis. It's just not happening. No, I, I don't disagree with any of it, and uh, it is frustrating. Um, you know, it's frustrating, but I also see the fans' perspective of 
if you're not an Alabama or a Clemson fan, it's it's hard to truly believe that you're going to break through. I do think, though, like you said, there's going to be teams that surprise. There's always going to be good stories. I just worry at the top of the top of the top. Is anybody really going to challenge Bama and Clemson? And it's funny because, you know, you do these, um, you know, like like it used to be like, oh, who can be a surprise team to win the national championship? And now it's like it doesn't there aren't surprises because you would have to beat Bama and Clemson in succession or Clemson and Georgia in succession or Clemson and, uh, you know, uh, Georgia and Bama, whatever. And so that's what kind of concerns me is I think there's going to be good stories on the lower level of the sport with Nebraska going from whatever it was, four or five wins to eight, nine wins. Iowa State being improved, but I just do wonder if when we get to the playoff, if there are going to be those teams that can actually challenge at the well, top. You know, well let's 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 be real. And I know that there are a lot of because um, I see them and hear them. Uh, I, I hear them on the radio, and I, I, I see it on Twitter all the time. Well, if you go to eight teams, it'll still be Alabama, Clemson. Okay, fine. Well, let's just make it more difficult for them. Okay? Sure. Let, let let's make them play another game. <laughs> I want to see and what. what Go back and look at last year, uh, the top eight teams, and then seed it one versus eight, two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five, and think about an opening week of the college football playoff in that dead period when the season ends way too early and we have to wait and go through all those godforsaken, uh, you know, bowl games that nobody seemingly cares that much about. I love them. I'm happy for those teams. I want to watch them play college football. But there's far too much time between the end of the regular season and the start of the playoffs, in my mind. If we added one week and we allowed those games to be played on the campuses of the teams that finished in the top four, how much fun would that be to watch? How much fun, how much more um, conversation would it create around the country if you had literally teams from every time zone in the college football playoff? You know, we've turned this thing into a Sunbelt regional-only uh process it's like a an invitational for clemson and alabama who wants to come join them that's not what the playoff was designed to do just understand that it hasn't worked look at it rework it and again you know espn doesn't need my help financially but uh, they have to know that they're not getting the bang for the buck for what they paid for the rights to this thing they got to know and so if we get another bad finish and the ratings are down around where they have been, which is nowhere near an NFL playoff game. You know, nowhere near a divisional playoff game, which was what was promised. Then they know they've got to give them a, a, a long look at expansion. And I think that's the only way it works, Aaron, because you'll never get these conference commissions to move on what they're doing. Okay. Why would why would Greg Sankey change anything about his league? They're hoisting crystals left and right. Yep. Why would he go to nine games? Well, there's no reason for him to. Sure. So all the conference commissioners care about is their constituency. Okay, so as long as their people are happy and they're making money, that's it. And that's the point here. College football needs a czar. It will have a czar because of the selfishness of those that are governing it that only think about their in somewhere world. And that is fundamentally wrong if you want to grow a sport nationally. We don't have anybody looking out for what's the best thing for the good of the game. No one that's looking at it from 30,000 feet and from a global standpoint saying, you know what, this is what college football needs. Let's do it. Let's adopt it. Let's go with it. 
and 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 that's 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 really the unfortunate part. For all of college basketball's ills, and my God, it's got plenty. The one good thing about it is that the in the finals, when we look at the the in production, it's what it's a national sport. Sure, it's sixty eight teams that stop. It's three weeks. It's a sprint to the finish, and the entire country is captivated. Yeah, it's basketball. Yeah, it's got issues. We can go on and on about all of that. But in the end, we're left smiling. And we've had a lot of great stories. And, uh, you know, a loyal of Chicago can happen. But we don't have that in college football. We never have. We've always looked down our noses at the, the, the up-and-comers, the Boise State or the UCS. Um, we really miss out in college football because of the selfishness and the insular world of those that govern. No one's making more money than the Big Ten. No one's winning more championships than the SEC. Okay, I'm happy for both. But how about let's all get together and do something that's right for the game itself? Okay, why not do what's right for the game itself? I don't disagree with any of it. Tim Brando, uh, Fox Sports, FS1. Uh, I could talk to you about this stuff all day. You got to run. <laughs> I got to run. So you said Tulsa, Michigan State, week one. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, that's a Friday night tilt. Uh, I believe it's a 7 o'clock Eastern matchup. Uh, then the following week, we've got um, Penn State at home uh, in prime time. You know, Gus and Jungle are doing those big games. The big noon kickoff is a is a great thing. I was just at our seminar in Urban Meyer and Reggie Bush are joining up with with Matt Leinert and Rob Stone and they're gonna and and, and Brady Quinn. They're gonna have a blast in there. And uh, Gus and Jungle will get to play early. I guess the good news for Spencer and myself and and uh, and the rest of our our talent pool, we can all watch that show and uh, get ready for our games and. Um, Hopefully I'll have a few in prime time under the, the moonlight and I can take it all in. I, I love to watch all the games before I get to mine sure. anyway. So um, I'll get a prime time kickoff in week two. Then we get Michigan State, Arizona State. Well, then, by the way, Arizona State, keep an eye on Herman Edwards. That's, that's another program I think that may be taken off uh, out west. Uh, may not be getting as much attention as it deserves, but I, I think that could give Sparty a, another you know, They beat him last year. Yep. Interesting to see how that game goes in week three, and then um, and then Penn State Maryland on the road on a Friday, on the twenty seventh of September. Twenty first, I'm not sure. I think there's a chance we might be in Fort Worth for TCU, but but we'll see. All right, Tim Brando, FS1 Fox Sports. Uh, you know, I love doing this with you. We do it, I think, once or twice a year. I genuinely always appreciate the time. Thank you, Tim. Best of luck, and I'm sure we'll talk at some point during the season. Well, keep, keep, you keep it going, Aaron. I'm real proud of you, man. You keep more of you out there in the landscape. You're a heck of a guy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.